Okay, so this is Coming In Without Context. Um, my name is Hope Stolzheimer, and today I'm joined by Javier Lopez and Dylan Yang. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves? No. <laughs> I was going to say right. no. Damn it. <laughs> okay. Uh, neither of them wanted to introduce themselves. Um, today I'm going to be the host, so I'll be leading the discussion, um, and Dylan will be leaving us uh, when he decides to, I guess. Bye. Today, I, um, my discussion topic is how do we solve world peace? Um, I figured we'd do an easy one to start out. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so do you have any thoughts, uh, any theories on how we could solve world peace just before we get started? How to solve world peace? That seems like an important question in this era, especially now that we have the most powerful weapons to ever exist, hundreds and thousands of times more powerful than the bombs dropped in World War II. So it seems pretty important that we get this right, or at least if we can't get total peace, you know, stay in a, a state of not too much conflict. Yeah, that's actually, um, this was going to be later on, but okay. uh, within like international relation theory, like they discuss how like having those worser like weapons nowadays actually helps to maintain peace because like if two countries have nuclear weapons, then they're not going to want to fight each other because they don't want to die. So like having that sort of norm of like, you can have these like terrible weapons and you don't want to use them. Mm -hmm. So you'll avoid war more than before. Like is actually a theory. Like, do you think there's any weight to that? Yes. I have heard about this. Isn't there a name for this? It's like... Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> I don't remember. Have you heard this before? It's like the nuclear paradigm or something like that. <laughs> something like nuclear that. Nuclear dilemma. I don't... It's, it's something along those lines. Yes, yes. And I'll be honest, uh, international relations is definitely not my specialty. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. But thinking about that, I can see how that would make sense. And just if I think back, even after World War II, there were these wars that were very, well, you know, that led to many deaths and a lot of damage. For example, Vietnam War or all these other, is it, is it called like proxy wars? Is that what they call them? Yeah, yeah, proxy wars. <laughs> right. Where I don't think they used these more powerful weapons that were developed that there was still this conflict and i guess there still can be conflict even without the use of those hugely dangerous weapons and i wonder here's something to think about what would world peace really mean because it seems kind of optimistic to think that suddenly everybody will be able to agree with everybody else and there will be no conflict that seems like a utopian kind of future yeah and that's like goes into the question of is it even achievable like would you have to solve each individual conflict to try right. and achieve it or is there some like universality that you can find and like would if everyone turned to pacifism like would we be able to have world peace or would would you have to solve individual conflicts and just try and continue working at it and like i another in the realist paradigm in international relations they talk about the idea that war is inevitable 
Mm. And the only sorts of ways that you can try and postpone it are through like balances of power. Um, What's interesting is in international relations, they like to say that we're in the long peace currently, which just basically means that there's no quote unquote great wars between Mm -hmm. um, larger powers like the US, China, Russia, uh, European countries. But that doesn't mean that it's like we're living in a peaceful world. No, no <laughs> There's right. conflict literally everywhere. And I've always found it interesting that they just kind of ignore that conflict and say, oh, we're in the long peace. Because uh, we're clearly not. <laughs> I wonder. And I wonder if that even has a sort of shift. No, not a shift. What's it called? A sort of bias that maybe says, okay, the state of the world can be described by the state of these few quote-unquote developed countries like the United States, Europe, China. And maybe there is something questionable about saying it's the great peace while there are people dying all over the place in these smaller countries. Yeah, I, you definitely couldn't call it peace in my book. At no, least, definitely not. In textbooks, it's called the long peace, which I always mm-hmm. found really interesting. Um, and I, I mean, even within like war nowadays, there's been a shift towards conflicts that aren't really between states um, as much. Now it's more so like asymmetric warfare where it's like smaller organizations against countries like guerrilla warfare, terrorism. That's a good point. So it'd be interesting to see like, so is world peace, like is it achievable if you prevent countries from going to war with each other or would you have to have like, like peace between groups even going forward? Hmm. Maybe what they're trying to say by world, who is they? I just realized. Um, Us. <laughs> we can just, define what world peace is. I was talking about international relations scholars before, but. <laughs> okay. Makes sense. Thinking about world peace, I find it very hard to believe that there's such thing as a no conflict world. This is kind of a ridiculous comparison, but to compare a country to a person. But. I don't know if it's so good for there to be any sort of relationship between two people where everyone just agrees with each other and dismisses their own concerns and issues. So just in summary, I don't think there is such thing as a no conflict world, but maybe by world peace, they mean a maybe no, no like physical violence involving those kinds of things. So maybe world peace just means not actual peace, but conflict that is settled in a diplomatic way? What do you think? Um, I mean, like another, in like a liberal sort of viewpoint into it, there's like, they say that there's like three things that you need in order to establish peace between countries. One of those is like international institutions that would like allow for greater diplomacy and communication. Mm. Um, other things are like economic interdependence between countries. Like the more you trade with a country and become dependent on their goods, the less likely you're going to go to war with them because you need um, the things they have. And uh, third one's just like the spread of democracy. But I think that can go back to what we talked about, about a more biased viewpoint. Mm. So there is something to be said. There have been statistically less wars in democratic countries uh, over time. Interesting. Dylan, let me ask you something. How would you solve world peace? <laughs> that's, that's a t- 
tough and possibly impossible question. When you, when I came in, and you were discussing, I, the first thing I thought of was, I was thinking about utopias versus dystopias because, like, in a utopia, obviously, you know, you'd assume there'd be no conflict, no violent deaths, no kind of injustices, right? But you also almost have to assume that. The people living there are somehow mind controlled or ordered, put into place, restricted their freedoms somehow. And there's like a very fine line between utopias and dystopias in a lot of like medias, literatures. Yeah. So for there to be no conflict in the world, do we need mind control? Like, is it something that could be achievable? Like, would it have to be something that's institutionalized or like? you have to be peaceful or something will happen to you. I don't think that even qualifies as peace anymore. But like, what do you think going forward would be any sort of way of like making it so it's more of a norm to be peaceful? I think what makes this question hard is that we tend to inter or interconnect uh, different terms. Like whenever we say peace, we assume nonviolence, we assume like some kind of justice, right? Some kind of freedom for everyone, but they're not necessarily they're not necessarily connected in that way. Like you, if you have one, it doesn't mean you have the other, right? I think that's the real problem. So, like you could say, um, you could imagine a world, a hypothetical world, of course, where there is world peace. Like there are no wars. There's no. Uh, no world hunger, no like, you know, that kind of stuff. But but then it's also maybe a one nation world under a dictatorship, where mm-hmm. people don't have the freedoms. Or you could imagine like a prison, a prison world. Like everyone's a prisoner. There's no there's no violence because yeah. everyone's just locked in a cell. Okay. So I, you know, they all kind of lead to counterintuitive conclusions i suppose and that's i don't i don't know if i don't personally my my intuition is that it's not possible to achieve true world peace unless you create some kind of exception or you change what the definition means that actually leads me to an interesting question which is with peace is there justice like if you're wronged are you have to be a pacifist or are there reasonable times where you don't have to be peaceful? So basically, like with peace, is there justice? Like, so if you're wronged by someone, but mm-hmm. the norm is to be peaceful, like, can you get justice if everyone's forced to be peaceful? That's a great question. Oh, that is a I have seen something like that, even in a small scale. Something that even I would relate to, I am not a like sovereign country, but there is an idea of, so I personally don't like to find myself in conflict. I have enough to worry about, I'm stressed enough. So if some minor inconvenience happens, like, oh, someone bumps into me or, oh, they forgot to add the sauce in my bag of chips. That doesn't make any sense, but (laughs) a lot of people might be inclined to just not bother or not incite that conflict and well even though it's a small thing not serve justice just because they don't want conflict 
And while it kind of makes sense, like I can understand that and I definitely have acted like that before. I think we're sacrificing something in that by just accepting like peace rather than justice. And I don't, for something trivial, like a sauce or someone bumped into you, there's not a huge consequence. But if we start allowing even larger things on the scale of countries, that is an issue. It just makes me think that question hope, is very important about how we can preserve justice or if that's even possible under world peace. Yeah, and, and this has actually brought me to start thinking about, um, this isn't like within like the 80s when the Reagan administration started really criminalizing drug use, like in their minds, they were cleaning up the streets and probably trying to make life more peaceful per se but in that sort of way they were removing justice from a lot of people who were then put into a criminal system that maybe they didn't belong in um and so when there's like ideas like racial equity and things like that and finding justice um how does that combine with like the notions that originally they were put in there because like society wanted to be more peaceful or wanted to clean the streets or things like that. Um, like, can they both exist at the same time? I think um, it's definitely an interesting relationship between violence and justice. Um, Cause I think maybe most people might actually say that you can't have justice without violence, but I don't know if that's necessarily true as much as people think. Uh, I was just taking a class this past semester um, about practical ethics. And one of the topics we covered was mass incarceration, particularly in the U.S., like you were talking about, Hope, where, you know, so many people, like millions and millions of citizens are arrested and put away for either bogus or really small, like, I guess, relatively small crimes, which stemmed largely from you know, the, the Reagan administration and the war on drugs. Um, and it has continued, not just, not just in his administration, but after. And uh, we were reading a book called uh, Until We Reckon by Danielle Sarid. And the whole book is about this idea of restorative justice. So you don't need violence. You don't need prison to get justice. You can come to peaceful resolution between the victim and the perpetrator through dialogue and through agreed upon measures. And I think the, the book was really good at, at highlighting these examples where like individuals who are victims of violent crimes like stabbings or, or beatings, you know, uh, physical assault, they would come together with their attacker in, in these rooms, um, obviously mediated by um, a third party, but they would come to a resolution where both parties could walk away feeling like some kind of resolution had been met because, and this was like one of the main points that I, that was so like <laughs> world expanding, I guess, from the book, our criminal justice system is completely focused on punishment, right? Mm -hmm. It's about putting people who commit crimes away in prison and isolating them. But at no point does the legal system, does the government ever consider or try and 
compensate or or, res- or restore the damage that's done to the victim. It's it's never about the victim. It's always about punishment, right? As if punishment is the end all be all. As if that's sufficient, right, for these crimes. And the only ways that people really get any kind of retribution in any sense is if they sue, right? If they bring it to the legal system, but but often that costs them time and money, and it doesn't actually bring emotional resolution. That's very interesting. And something that has come up a lot, well, I, I think it was maybe a month, a few months ago at this point, when there were huge protests in Minnesota, especially with this movement of essentially, essentially it was, we need to rethink how the police system works. And this is probably all about what that book was about. Well, I think the main criticism that some people had said was, okay, these police that are put in these cities do not understand the people and are out to only punish and essentially kill rather than, well, if there's any doubt of danger, they will kill. And that was an issue because um, you said it better. (laughs) I I get what you're getting at. I think like- One of the reform of the system. Right. And it's not just, it's not just that they're like, it's not their fault necessarily. Right. You know, obviously, in a few cases, there's there's definitely poor decision making, but also part of it is is training, in my opinion, at least, is that these individuals, these are people, these are humans dealing with other humans. But we've we've kind of compartmentalized almost in a way that instead of humans dealing with humans, it's police, the role police dealing with violent offenders or criminals or what drug addicts or something like that right potential drug addicts potential murderers potential there's always some potential there that this person that they're dealing with is violent and then in in these cases which have been happening so often recently they're not violent but it's just that that belief that preconceived notion and that fear really yes that that's like inside the officers that they're just not equipped and they don't they're not in the correct mental state to handle these situations and that's why you know there's been calls like you said to reshape or add on to these social systems so that we have other avenues other branches which are more focused on helping rather than responding and suppressing mm-hmm. yeah and um i think all of that brings up another really good point where like so is it through reforms of current systems that you can try and like find greater peace or minimize violence and things like that or is it through the creation of new systems entirely so like would you say like oh if they had new training programs would that resolve a lot of issues or would it be like needing to form an entirely different policing system altogether. My immediate reaction to that, or my immediate answer that pops into my head is that I think there does need to be new departments, uh, new groups, new organizations, because, and I I don't, I'm not saying that it's, it's impossible that we, that we could uh, solve these problems with more training, a different training, but I think it's it's more of a that seems more like a band aid rather than a complete fix to me, because 
when I think about these occupations and how they're often portrayed in the media, like I was saying with the with roles, we view it as a role of the police handling a situation with a potentially dangerous criminal, right? But instead of instead of taking that role to every situation, you need to replace it with some other role. So instead of the police, maybe you have uh, the care community team. I don't know, just the care community team and their duty is to respond to all cases of domestic abuse, all cases of drug-related injury, right? And so the mentality going into those situations will be different. It's not, it's not that of the police handling a potentially dangerous situation with guns and other military-esque gear. It's the community care team entering the situation with, with the goal of helping the victim, right? I think, I think it's, in that sense, it's more about the mentality. And that's why I think there should be, we need to create new departments with a completely different mentality in relation to the police. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Basically coming in with a different sort of point of view on how they're going to approach this, completely different from the when in doubt punish attitude. And I think someone online, I remember reading about this, had proposed basically what you're saying. I don't think they called it the Care Bears like you did, but it was essentially like get these people, highly respected people in the community. And that was important to them. Namely, not namely, specifically that they be people who are part of that community, who have grown up with the others and who understand the social customs, the way of life and how people talk to each other because the concern is that if we have people who are coming in from outside, they may not understand or be able to relate to those people who are, well, victims or committing the crimes or suspected of that. And so they were suggesting this, these like people online, just like that, a force, not a force, a group of people who would be able to more naturally lead that sort of, not disarming, what is it? It's like coming to these conflicts and trying conflict to- Conflict resolution. Conflict resolution, exactly. From the point of view of someone who, well, maybe more respected by the people who are in this conflict. And to kind of expand this beyond like the policing system. So do you think changing global mentalities could help to like shift, uh, like how people view wars and achieving peace between countries. Because I know um, there's one theory in international relations called constructivism, and it says that the change in norms, in, in global norms, is what can help lead to peace. But is that too naive to think that you can try and change global norms? Do there need to be other things that are set up? The first thing that that comes to mind was, and I'm not sure where I heard this. Um, oh, oh, you know where I heard this? I heard this from uh, a college friend, uh, a senior. You, you've met him, Hope. Um, he said to me that a lot of the world's conflicts between nations, between governments, could be simply resolved if the leaders just smoked weed together or took took <laughs> mushrooms together. <laughs> And I thought that was really both like it's it's funny, but it's also somewhat profound. Like there's this whole thing in psychology where 
if you work together with people, like this is the whole point of all those, you know, those corporate team building exercises. When you do something cooperatively together to achieve a common goal, you're naturally going to develop bonds with those people, regardless of who they are. Mm. Um, it's just natural human nature to, to be cooperative if you are in the right situation, right? And I also think about those videos like on YouTube where it's like, oh, a Republican and a Democrat meet together and have a drink or something, you know, like these two opposite groups meeting together and they can reconcile and there's no problem. It's only that when you become, when you create this mentality of being within a group, if you view yourself as a Democrat and then by part of being a member of the Democratic Party is viewing Republicans as your opponent, as your political adversary, right? That's part of the job description, so to speak. So same thing with nations. We, as as US citizens, definitely have, if not outright like extreme nationality, we'd certainly have some kind of national pride, right? And almost as by subscription, part of that deal is, oh, Russia is maybe our political adversary. China is our economic adversary, right? We have all of these, all this baggage that comes with associating with a group. And so I I think that certainly contributing to it. And so if you want to kind of get at that, you need to either reshape the groups or you need to come up with a way to form a global sense of community rather than independent national identities. Not, not saying you don't have to, you have to get rid of national identities, just that you need to kind of go beyond them. And Dylan, not to just like repeat exactly what you said last time, but as you said that, a smile crept across my face. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think you just proposed an answer to Hope's question. Um, did you have a guess at what the question was? Um, how do we create world peace? Yeah, I had how do we solve world peace, but hey. same. Uh, <laughs> um, Go and play the air horns. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we as same as you, we didn't actually follow the structure of what I had planned out, um, but I think it turned out pretty well. I was gonna say this cute little story that was gonna be a little comedic. Um, that like in middle school, I thought a way to solve world peace was if we took everyone's shoes um, and okay. shoes were just like abolished because no one would shoot guns if their feet hurt. Um, uh, and they wouldn't want to walk around and stuff if they had to step on pebbles and things like that, um, which obviously would not be an accurate solution to world peace, but... <laughs> I think I think you mentioned that to me before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think there's easier ways than stealing everyone's shoes. <laughs> Wouldn't people also just grow calluses on their feet, enabling them to walk around anyways? It would evolve. Not only that, but like we have drones and stuff that drop bombs <laughs> anyways. So. Oh man. You might have invented drones earlier though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next week, society without shoes. That was good, though. Even though I know nothing about this topic, I found there were still things I could say. Yeah, I'm an international studies major, so it was something, it, it, it is something that I like thinking about. Um, 
and I like looked at my notes from my intro class and like wrote them down to say like which paradigms believed which things because I didn't remember the names of them that was good yeah and I mean like uh the question I had about like can there be justice with peace was uh, originally dated from a question that I wrote was like is, can war be just uh between countries because um like if you look from like a pacifist point of view like no violence is ever just right so they, they believe no war can be just but um there's actually some scholars who wrote out like a whole list of how a war can be just I didn't write that down but um I feel like in certain circumstances it can like we could look to world war ii and say that fighting against Germany was a just war because you're trying to save like people's lives and things like that but I think there's a lot of circumstances where a war is not just just as many as there are all right well this is a great discussion about world peace i think we solved it um i'll be taking all of our ideas uh to the secretary general of the un uh not that international institutions do all that much but we can uh and i hope you all have a great rest of your day bye